my goodness, there is nothing better than knowing Jesus. You are in the right place today. The party starts right here. Oh, man. Woo! Well, hey, my name is Glenn Grinder. I'm one of the pastors here at Union Chapel. Let me welcome you. It's such an honor to be bringing God's word to you. If you would, just remain standing for just a few more minutes. We're going to jump into scripture and then go right into the message. And now the passage today, it comes from Luke 17. We're going to do verses 5 through 10, but I'm just starting off with verse 5. So don't blink. You might miss it. Here's the scripture. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Exclamation point. Thank you. You may be seated. We all need more faith, don't we? We all need more faith. It doesn't matter if you're not even sure if Jesus is real or not. You're just checking this church stuff out. You're not sure about Jesus. You could use some more faith. Or maybe you've been following Jesus for decades and you have story after story after story of the amazing things that he's done. You can use some more faith too. And that includes all of us. We all need to increase our faith. And I was reading through this passage of scripture and I just came to this verse, this request, you know, Lord, increase our faith, you know, bam, exclamation point. And when I'm reading, just so you know, when I'm reading the Bible, my habit is to kind of read along. And then when something gets my attention, I stop and think about it. Because when God speaks to me, it's not like, hello, Glenn, I have something to say to you. Or it doesn't like, you know, bang things or anything like that. It's really subtle. And so, and so I got that little subtle nod and I thought, increase our faith. I was like, man, I want more faith. And then I began to think, you know, I've read the gospels a bunch of times. What comes next? How come I can't remember what's next? Why am I not remembering Bible studies and sermons and Instagram pictures with, you know, the scriptures on them or something like that? What, what's up with that? And so I hope you feel a little bit of that tension too. So let's put the rest of the scripture up on the screen. And Jesus replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted into the sea, and it will obey you. Then it all came back to me. <laughs> and suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? <clears throat> Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink? And after that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? That's a rhetorical question, and the answer is no. So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Okay, take a deep breath, everybody. In through the nose, out through the mouth. I know when we read this, it can sound heavy and depressing, but I promise when we dig through and figure out what Jesus is really saying, it is incredibly freeing. And incredibly hopeful. And so don't run for the doors just yet. And so I think today it will help us to start at the end of Jesus' conversation with the disciples here. And I want to talk about some barriers to building your faith. And the first one I want you to see is this. Let's check this out as it comes up on the screen. Is serving God out of duty. Or doing things out of duty. Because when we read verse 10, you could feel it in the room. It like feels so depressing. We're unworthy servants because we've only done our duty. We've only done what we were asked. Now, let's be honest. For any day for me that I do everything I've been asked to do, that's like a good day for Glenn. I mean, that's like, you know, break out the pom-poms, the cheerleaders. Glenn did everything he was supposed to do. And, and, and so how can, how can doing everything God asked not be enough? 
I mean, think about it. Uh, let's translate this into the, the teaching world. Maybe you're a professor or a teacher and your students actually do everything that you told them to do. What would your response be? Well, someone's going to have to break out the smelling sauce because you will have fainted out cold when your students do everything that you told them to do. And I know that there's people in the medical field, whether you're a therapist or a doctor, imagine your patients doing everything you told them to do. Well, for one, your place wouldn't be quite so busy and you wouldn't see them quite so frequently either. And I know that there's managers and business owners in the room and they would be delighted to hire somebody right here, right now, who would just do what you asked them to do. So how can serving God and doing what he asks not be enough? When I hear that, it makes me feel depressed. And if it doesn't make you feel depressed, it will make you tired because we are all busy. And just the thought of adding more things to our already hectic schedule makes our brains want to explode or our bodies just give out. And so here's the keys, folks. Jesus' focus here is not on the number of things that you do, but the spirit in which you do them. And we understand that when we kind of dig into what this word duty really means. I think the maybe an antonym for duty would be obedience. Even though they're very similar in meaning, they're opposite in motivation. You see, duty asks us to do this just enough. We just want to do the very minimum. And so your boss, she doesn't really care why you do what she asks you to do. She just wants you to do it. And so doing just enough, doing just what you're asked, that works okay at work. And it works okay at school, you know, just doing just what you're asked, just enough. That'll get you by at school as well. But imagine coming up to your beloved and saying, I love you so much and I want you to know that I'm going to do just enough in this relationship. Just the things that you really ask me for. Now, how many of you know that you're not going to get a warm response and the response might actually be a boot in your fanny? So, I got one laugh. There we go. Thank you. Thank you. That was figurative speaking. So duty says, do these things because you have to. Whereas obedience says, do these things out of love and devotion to God. And duty, it's tied to legalism. And legalism is this thought where the rules and what we do is more important than our heart, our character, and who we are. And God hates legalism. We've seen it throughout the Bible. In fact, in your own life, you could, you could imagine doing two specific good acts. Two specific good acts for God. You just make them up, pick them whatever they might be. And one time in your life, you do those two acts and you're like, oh, I've got to get through this. Oh my goodness. So I can get on with my day. Well, that would be duty. And the other side is obedience. And so, oh, <laughs> this seems terrifying and exhausting to me, but I'm doing this because I love Jesus. My friends, that is obedience. And it's difficult for us because we focus a lot on what we do. Think about it. Every other area of your life, what you do is more important than who you are. And so it's natural for us to find our significance in what we do more than our character. Think of it this way. We love making lists. We do. In fact, scientific studies have shown that our brains release endorphins when we check things off of our list. We get a little buzz when we, when we check stuff off of our list. 
And so, and we can take that into our relationship with God. And so here we are, it's like, okay, I've got to get this done. I've got to do this done. Then I can get on with my day and move on with it. So now the, the point isn't to stop making lists. So make those lists, but when you check things off, think, I'm doing this for you, Jesus. All right, this is just my job, but I'm checking this off because I want to work as I'm working unto the Lord. I want to do this for God's pleasure. I want to do this for his glory, for his grace. Get this. Jesus doesn't want to be the monkey on your back. He doesn't want to be the nag over your shoulder. He wants to be the energy of your life. He wants to be the driving force of your life. He wants to be the power behind what you do. So my friends, let's run away from duty and embrace obedience. Check this out. Another barrier to building faith is focusing upon yourself. That would have been a lot easier just to write the word selfishness. But for me, selfishness seems more obvious. And when I struggle with, you know, putting myself first, it's, it's more ambiguous. It's not quite so in your face and obvious like that. And so we all struggle with self-centered thinking, don't we? I mean, it started with Adam and Eve and continues to this day. And we think about our culture. Our culture is obsessed with self as well. And sometimes I wonder if selfishness just might be one of my spiritual gifts. I know it's not, but, you know, sometimes I wonder that. Well, in this illustration, Jesus, he sets up the disciples to identify with the master. And he says, suppose one of you has a slave or a servant. Now, when we hear the word servant, we think, you know, well, rich people have servants and, you know, it's like a higher job. This is slave. They bought the person. They don't pay them. They bought them. And so, and so in that moment, when they're coming in, it's absolutely presumptuous, just preposterous for the slave to sit down at the table at the end of the day and say, whew, I am hot, hungry, and thirsty. What's for dinner? I mean, they're like, no way. And so Jesus is saying, you coming to me saying, build my faith, you lay it on me right now, is just as presumptuous. You know, there's this uh, popular statement, the four spiritual laws, the first spiritual law is this, it's that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that is so true and so freeing. Now, my ears hear those words, but my brain likes to rearrange them into this. Yes, God loves me and has a plan to make my life wonderful. Now, same words, different order, completely different meaning. You see, Jesus didn't die on the cross and rise from the dead so that he could make me happy or make my life better. In fact, Jesus said these words. He said, I did not come to be served, but I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Now, we would never say this out loud, but sometimes we think, all right, well, Jesus, you came to serve. Bring it on. I could use some service right now, Jesus. But that's not the attitude that he wants us to have. He wants us to respond and serve others just like he has served us and to serve him like he's served us. Because if we're too full of ourselves, there's no room for more of Jesus in our lives. Anybody remember uh, smartphones before cloud storage? You're going along, you're downloading apps, you're taking pictures, you take a video, and you're doing all this fun stuff. And all of a sudden you try to do something and bloop, this message comes up on the screen. Your phone is full, ha, 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 we can't do anything else. 
And so then you've got to delete all the unimportant stuff off there. Get all the unimportant stuff off. And the same thing is true of our lives. When we empty ourselves of those things that are not as important as Jesus, it makes more room for him to move in and through us. Because when we focus on Jesus, there's no limit to what he can do in and through us. One person who really got that was John the Baptist. You see, he kind of paved the way for Jesus. And so he had a gathering of people and he was all about repentance, repenting for things that you've done wrong. And so with this whole following, there's this pressure. And John the Baptist, he was the first one to point to you and say, you don't need to follow me, you need to follow Jesus. And if John the Baptist, if he had a t-shirt or a bumper sticker, this is what it would say. He said these words, he said, he must increase, but I must decrease. So the less there is of you and your own desires, the more of Jesus you can experience. And so the disciples, they were confused. They selfishly thought that faith was something that magically floated down from heaven right into their lives. And that's not at all how it works. Anybody remember this movie from 20 years ago called The Matrix? They had really cool special effects, but one of the fascinating concepts in that was the idea of fast learning. And they, the heroes literally had a port in the top of their head and they could plug that puppy into a computer. And in just a matter of seconds, you need to know Kung Fu, Shazam, you know Kung Fu. You need to know how to shoot an AK-47 or a Glock, you've got it right there. Or you need to know how to fly a Bell helicopter. There it is. And then I began to think, wow, could I have gotten a four-year college degree and four-year seminary degree in 15 seconds? Well, that's digressing. And so it's not automatic. And so maybe you're not uh, you know, a sci-fi geek like me. We all get Disney. So God is not the fairy godmother in the sky waving her wand and saying, bippity-boppity-boo, more faith for you. So that's just not how it works. <laughs> faith building requires a response from you. Check this out. It requires your response. And so we have to respond for our faith to grow. There's nothing automatic about it. Think about your salvation. This is like the most important step of faith you'll ever take in your life. And I realize it's really heavily weighted on Jesus' side. He's the guy who died on the cross. He's the one who paid for our sin. He's the one who rose from the dead, who ascended into heaven, who sent his spirit and offers salvation to you as a free gift to everyone who would receive him. But that salvation isn't yours until you respond, until you say yes, I receive. Just like you gave your life for me, Jesus, I give my life to you. And that's the point of salvation. And everything else in our spiritual lives is the same way. In fact, there's this topic I promise to never talk about, especially from the pulpit. It's the P word. I can hardly say it. Patience. Patience. I said it. Oh no, I said it. Because the reason I don't like to talk about patience is because when God wants to build patience in my life and in your life, he's going to put you into circumstances that stretch and push and challenge your patience. And so, God, I want to love you more. God, I want to trust you more. Well, don't be like, a, don't be like me and whine and gripe when you find yourself in circumstances that stretch your trust and love for God. Because that's what he uses to build us Faith is literally your relationship with Jesus. And so faith building is a purely relational act. It simply cannot happen without you. Let me tell you this absolutely true story. Um, I was talking 
to Nate and Tanner, our awesome worship leaders. I love our worship team. They do so amazing. And, and I came up to Nate and Tanner. I said, guys, I want to have a rock star worship leader voice. I mean, I just want to be able to sing so well that people cry. I mean, but for the right reasons, but for the right reasons. And, and I want to have mad guitar playing skills so that my fingers can do amazing things on the guitar. And then I thought this, and I want to be worship leader buff like you guys too. And then Nate and Tanner just looked at each other and with nervous laughter, and they realized I was serious. And they said, uh, Glenn, you're going to need lessons, lots and lots and lots of lessons and a physical trainer and a dietitian. <laughs> you get the point. You see, faith, it comes from God, but there's nothing automatic about it. One of the things I absolutely love about Jesus' illustration with the disciples here is that the master has one slave. He has one servant. And so that means that they were working together at the same time. I mean, this is Indiana. We get the farm thing. We get that it's hard work. We get that there's lots of things to do. And so when you have one servant, you're out there working just as hard as the slave. And so they saw them coming in together at the end of the day. So the master wasn't inside. The disciples, they weren't sitting inside in their minds, you know, updating Facebook, you know, playing Candy Crush, eating cheese puffs. I mean, they were out there sweating and dirty and doing the same thing. And so when the disciples asked Jesus, build my faith, he told this story. And what they heard was this, come work with me. Come work with me. Come side by side with me. Partner with me. Let me lead you. Let me guide you. Let me help you. Because every time you ask Jesus to build your faith, he says yes. And then he says, come and get it. Come and get it. Let's do this together. It's an invitation for us to respond to him. So my friends, let's run away from duty and embrace obedience. Let's focus on Jesus instead of ourselves and watch the barriers to faith building fall. So now I wanna talk about some things about faith building that I think will really help us. And the first thought is this, as it comes up on the screen, faith building starts right now. And so the disciples, they asked Jesus to build their faith and he responded with this crazy statement. It just seems crazy to me. You can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted into the sea if you just have a little mustard seed faith. Now we get that the faith is small and I'm convinced that Jesus loves mustard because he talks about this illustration all the time. He's used it several different times before. So we get that the faith is small. It's not about the faith. It's not about you. It's not about your ability. And so then we get to the mulberry tree. What's up with the mulberry tree? And I don't think it mattered that it was necessarily a mulberry tree. And there's some cool stuff I studied about. It's it actually has like a bitter fruit and then there's, you know, unforgiveness to talk about. But I think that's secondary. Imagine Jesus talking to the disciples and he's actually leaning up against the mulberry tree. He said, hey, you can say this mulberry tree be uprooted and planted into the sea. If you've got the faith, that'll happen. I believe if he was in town, he could have said, hey, you could say this lamppost or this bush or this car. Well, cars weren't around then. But anyway, you get the point. You get the point. So whatever is happening right in front of you. As I mentioned, we're all incredibly busy and we can be running from one thing to another. And in our sprint, we tend to focus on what's right next in front of us. And so I can't change your schedule 
And God may not necessarily want to change your schedule either, but he wants to change where your eyes go. He wants you to look up at him as you're running from one thing to another. He wants you to be looking around to see what opportunities he may have going on throughout your day. Because here's, here's what I found about faith building moments. They never come as a calendar invite from Jesus. He doesn't like stick it into our calendar. In fact, they're almost always an interruption in your day and what's going on. And so if we're not paying attention, we'll walk right by some of these moments that God has for us. Well, Monday is my dad's second birthday in heaven. And this is how he lived his life. He lived his life with his eyes up, looking to see what God was doing in and around him. He taught Sunday school for years. And this was the men's Sunday school class that no one wanted to leave. This is the men's Sunday school class that uh, they invited people to and people's People got saved. It was really transformative. And uh, it wasn't beyond him. He was a successful businessman and it wasn't beyond him. If he's having lunch with a guy he's getting ready to do business with, if he gets the nudge, just, hey, can I pray for you? Or tell me what's going on in your life. And, you know, as he got older and moved, uh, he, he's always been the family pastor. I know I'm a pastor, but he's our family's pastor because he's the one who had his eyes up looking around at what's going on in our lives. He really listened to what's going on and embraced everything about us. And so I have a wonderful, awesome example to look at. As I share that with you, I hope that inspires you to be the kind of person that looks up to Jesus, that looks around to see what's going on in your life. And so it all that starts by living in the moment and in the now. Because if you don't start, you'll never get started. If you don't change something, you'll never change. And so the point is for us to do something. Do something. And I don't know that it really matters exactly, specifically what it is, but we've got to do something. And I love the concept of God's will. God's will is something that we should pray for. It's something that we should seek. But I also think it's something that can be paralyzing to us because we think God's will is this really specific action. And so if we're worried about you know, doing something that's God-specific action and, we, and we, we weigh it down. It's like, well, if I do this and I'm wrong, then I'm doing something that's against God's will and I don't want to do that. And so we do nothing. And so I've got great news for you. I know what God's will for your life is. I know what God's will for my life is. It's to start doing stuff and figure it out with him. Let him show you what his will is for your life. Because if you've got it all figured out, then you're not building your faith. You already know what's going on because faith grows in the unknown. And I want you to know that we'll help you. We're with you in this process as a church staff. Jeff Hughes, he's our connections pastor and we love to tease Jeff. We love to use that, that four spiritual laws thing. We say, you know, God loves you and Jeff has a wonderful plan for your life. That's because Jeff, he's not only is he great at delegation, but he's great at helping people get plugged in to find their gifts and opportunities to serve. Maybe you have a passion for kiddos. You can contact Alexa Rollman, Christine Cartwright. They can give you the details on that. And of course, Cole Farlow and Caleb Staten, they're rock stars, are leading our, our youth ministry with 180. They can help you get hooked up there as well. But the easiest thing for you to do is just come to Discover 
in one hour. Uh, I believe it's next week at 4.15 on Saturday, 10 a.m. on Sunday. Come to Discover and you can find out what's going on. You can find out some great opportunities here where you can serve or get involved in a small group. That might be your next step of faith. Those are good things. Or maybe you can invite someone to come to church with you next week. Now, I want you to know that I'm in the middle of sermon preparation. And in the middle of all that, I mean, you could land an airplane. I wouldn't necessarily pay attention. I don't think about hunger or food, which is like a miracle. Uh, I don't think about my phone. I don't think about it. I'm in the zone. And I'm in the zone getting ready for today's message. And I can't stop thinking about what God's going to do next week when Pastor Greg comes. But he's going to be preaching about knowing God. And so you come next week and bring someone with you because here's what you'll walk out with. You'll walk out with a comprehension of what it feels like to be clean, of what, it, of what it feels like to be set free and loved and accepted by God. And so maybe your step of faith is to invite your family member, your friend, your neighbor, your coworker, that person you buy the coffee from in the morning, whatever it may be, bring them with you next week to experience Jesus. Whatever your next step is, make plans and write it down. Because you know what's going on right now. I can, I can hear it. I can hear your stomachs grumbling. And you're going to leave here and, and you're going to drive through Chick-fil-A and then realize that they're closed and you have to go somewhere else. And you're going to be eating. You're going to go, mmm, this is so good. You go, oh, wasn't church good today? Mmm, this is so good. What did we talk about at church? No one laughs at that, but you know it's true. You know it happens. You know it does. And so write it down. Tell somebody else what your next step is. Seal the deal. Make the commitment right now. Today, make up your mind. And I think this next big thought is perhaps my very favorite one of all. Faith building starts right where you are. Right where you are. Think about it, an unworthy servant does just enough and no more, but a worthy servant is one who's always looking for things, always looking for more ways to serve. In other words, a worthy servant doesn't put things off. No matter how much faith you have or how strong you are or how put together you are, that doesn't matter. Jesus wants your willingness more than he wants your skill and ability. Because let's be honest, Jesus has skill and ability aplenty but he doesn't have our willingness. And that's what he wants more than anything else. He wants us to be ready to move right where we are. So don't wait until you're more mature. Don't wait until you've gotten over whatever challenge that you're facing. Don't wait until your anger problem is under control or your attitude's better or until you're more confident. Don't wait. Right where you are, right here, right now is where God wants to use you. Maybe your job is awful and it's stressing you out. Maybe you just feel the weight of school and everything going on in your life right now and you can't imagine adding anything to that. Or maybe your health is terrible. I've got news for you. God wants to build your faith regardless of your circumstances. No matter what is going on, Jesus is ready to build your faith. And please, 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 don't wait until you feel like you're ready. Because if you've got it all figured out, if you're 100% confident and 0% worried, then you're not increasing your faith. You see the tension and the fear and the uncertainty, those are essential elements to faith building. 
Think about this. Here's something all of us can do. We can all do something good for someone else, can't we? Maybe, maybe you'll just say a encouraging word to your coworker. Tell them they're doing a good job. Or maybe you could tell a friend who just bombed a quiz that it's gonna be okay. Or maybe you could just pay for the person behind you in the drive-through line. Because check this out. Every time you do something good for someone else, God does something good in you. We can all do that, can't we? Let's build our faith, church. Let's respond to Jesus together. Let's start right now. And let's start right where we are. I want to invite the worship team to come up at this time. And I want to confess that sometimes uh, when pastors are preparing for messages, they begin with the end in mind. And I had plans to end this service with this big, encouraging, challenging call to action. And then God interrupted me in my sermon prep. Can you believe that? And he asked me some questions that I think he wants me to ask you as well. And the first one is this. Glenn, are you an unworthy servant? Now there's a fun question right there, isn't it? Are you an unworthy servant? And I thought, well, I pray, I read my Bible. Um, I go to church. Okay, that doesn't count because I work here. Uh, I try to keep my eyes open to what you're doing around me. And let me just clue you guys in. Whenever we confess something to God, even if it's challenging or scary, or even if it's a sin, when we confess it, even though we may be terrified or nervous, we have peace. And my peace, which was low, went from here to here when I confess that. And then Jesus asked me another question. What is a worthy servant? Well, I know that. A worthy servant is someone who puts you first, Jesus. A worthy servant is is someone who puts your desires above their own. Someone who wants what you want more than what they want. And that's when I realized I was an unworthy servant. You see, I was doing the right things, but I was doing them because they made me feel good. Not necessarily because I wanted to please my Savior. I was holding back. And Jesus sent this thought to me, which I believe he wants to send to you too. And he said these words. He said, I want you. I want you. I want you back. I want your passion. I want your devotion. I want your love. I want the core of who you are. My friends, God is drawing you to himself. He has things to do with you in your life. He's challenging you to trust him more. And I've got great news. Did you know that the second that you change your heart, you become a worthy servant? Because being a Christian is not about what you do. It's about who you are. But if that's who you are, it'll show up in what you do. So would you stand with me as we pray and then sing in just a minute? So let's bow our heads as we come before you, Jesus. Jesus, we celebrate your amazing love. Thank you that you rose from the dead. Thank you that you fill us with your spirit. And together, we confess that we focused on ourselves. We recommit our hearts to you, Lord Jesus. We put you first in our lives. 
And we promise before our friends and before you that we will follow you in faith. So together, we commit our lives to you. We walk away from selfishness and pride and we put you first. Fill us, Holy Spirit. Give us courage and boldness and determination to follow you. Build our faith and transform our families. Increase our faith and save our city. Open our eyes to the things that you are doing all around us and give us courage to do something about it. Because together, we face our fears, we embrace the unknown, and we trust that you are doing something bigger than we could have ever imagined on our own. Jesus, you are the only one worthy of our passion and desire and devotion, and we give it all to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Friends, God is doing something in your life, and he is doing something in this church. Let's worship him.